Welcome back to Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. This is session 54. I'm your host, Jim Hawk. And in this session, we'll be looking at John chapter 7, and we'll see if we might even touch on uh, chapter 8 as well. So unless you're driving, turn to John chapter 7, and we see that uh, the Feast of Tabernacles is near. Now, what is the Feast of Tabernacles? It's one of the three required feasts of ancient Judaism, where if you were a good Jew, you were supposed to travel to Jerusalem, to the temple in Jerusalem, from wherever you lived. And the meaning of the feast was to celebrate God's provision for the people of Israel during their uh, sojourn of 40 years to the promised land. You'll recall, you know, they griped about the food. You know, we don't have any food and God gave them manna. We don't have any water. And the big deal was Moses uh, and the rock and the, the water gushed from the rock so the people had water. Keep that in mind as uh, we uh, near the end of this particular class. Hopefully we'll get there. So the Feast of Tabernacles is about to begin. And it says in verse 3, his brothers said to him, uh, you know, go to, go to Judea, you know, go down to the temple so that your disciples may see the works you are doing. And ultimately, Jesus goes to that. But here's an interesting verse. If I were a skeptic about this whole Christianity thing, I would point out John chapter 7, verse 5. It says, for his brothers did not believe in him. Now, we already talked about the fact that these people were not brothers in the sense that you and I know the word. Uh, we already talked about the fact that in Aramaic, Aramaic, there was no word for cousin. And so any close male relative was referred to as a brother. Uh, these brothers that it says in verse 5, these cousins as we would know them, are actually mentioned by name in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. And I think that may have been one of the places where we talked about this concept of Jesus' quote-unquote brothers. But again, if I was a skeptic, if I were a skeptic, I would say his own relatives, okay, I'll give you that, uh, uh, Catholics, I'll give you that they were his cousins, not his brothers as we know them. But even his own relatives didn't believe in him. Okay, that's true. At this point, they didn't. But they had not seen the resurrected Christ. Remember, Jesus kept saying, I am going to be resurrected. And they didn't really grasp what that was, and they certainly didn't think it would happen. But uh, we, we know in Acts, uh, well, let's see, where do we know this? We know this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, that, you know, over 500 people saw the resurrected Christ, right? Uh, chapter 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. So these brothers who were named, uh, let me tell you a little bit about the history of three of them. You won't read it, all of their history in the Bible, but you will hear about one guy. James is one of these cousins. 
Now, this is the same James that in verse 5 says did not believe in him. But James saw the resurrected Christ in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 7. And he became not only a convert, but he ended up hosting the first council of the church, which you can read about in Acts chapter 15. And this same guy who didn't believe in Jesus uh, until he saw the resurrected Jesus wrote the, the book of James, which happens to be probably my favorite book of the entire New Testament. So uh, he didn't believe in Jesus until he saw the resurrected Christ. What about a couple of these other guys? Well, another one of his cousins who didn't believe in him at this point, his name was Jude. If that sounds familiar to you, there's a book by his name written by him, Jude. He wrote the book of Jude. Okay, and it's in your Bible today. And according to tradition, a third of these guys, cousins, who didn't believe in Jesus at this point, his name was Simon. That name is listed in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55. And according to church tradition, he became the second bishop of Jerusalem after James, the first bishop of Jerusalem, was martyred. Simon, by the way, was also martyred for his faith. So these three, now the, the fourth brother, Joseph, we don't really know what, uh, what became of, of him. But the point being that uh, three of these brothers who didn't believe in him, not only did they end up believing in him, but they became pillars of the church. And ultimately, they believed in him so much they were martyred for their faith. And it was all because they had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. And as you've heard me say over and over, we have an encounter with the resurrected Christ every time we receive at communion. We receive the body, blood, soul, and divinity of, of Christ. So I thought that was important to mention because uh, and someone who is a, a Bible skeptic but knows his Bible, and there are some people like that, might bring that up. And you can say, yeah. Well, I guess they had a change of opinion when they had an encounter with the resurrected Christ. Okay, now remember, uh, I said that uh, the, the Feast of Tabernacles was about to begin. Now, the, the last, uh, uh, one of the big deals about the Feast of Tabernacles is they're celebrating God's provision of water. You know, Moses spoke to the rock and water came out and all that sort of thing, which gave the people water and gave them sustenance. So they want to celebrate that in this week-long festival. And uh, so we'll pick up, uh, oh, and one of the procedures is they pour water on the altar on that day as a remembrance. So we'll pick up in verse 37. On the last and greatest day of the feast, you know, where they're going to pour all this water over the, uh, all over the, uh, uh, all over the uh, altar, Jesus stood up and exclaimed, let anyone, let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as scripture says, rivers of living water will flow from within him. Uh, it's not a direct quote, but, uh, you know, there's, uh, you know, some things in various, uh, various other Old Testament quotations that are kind of an amalgamated into this one. Uh, 
He said this in reference to the Spirit, capital S, verse 39, and those who came to believe in him were to receive. There was, of course, no Spirit yet, capital S, because Jesus had not yet been glorified. To be sure, the Holy Spirit existed, but he had not been given to the church yet. That's that advocate that uh, Jesus promised uh, would be sent from above to guide that his church into all truth. So bottom line is, Feast of the Tabernacles, you need to know that it's a big celebration about water, and you need to know that Jesus says, hey, you want water? I got your water right here. Uh, I am, uh, you know, uh, uh, let, let anyone who thirsts come to me and drink. Next, we have, in chapter 8, we have um, a, the story of a woman caught in adultery. Probably most of you are familiar with it. Um, the scribes and the Pharisees brought a woman who had been caught in adultery and made her stand in the middle. They said to him, Teacher, this woman was caught in the very act of committing adultery. Now in the law, Moses commanded us to stone such women. By the way, the law they're referring to, if you want to write this in your margin, after you underline uh, verse 5, um, in your margins, write Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. Levit Leviticus verse, chapter 20, verse 10. By the way, it also calls for the man to be caught in adultery as well as the woman to be put to death. So, uh, you know, I think people hear what they want to hear. That was true then. That's true now. What happened to the guy? Don't know. Maybe he was a fast runner, but uh, for some reason he was not uh, brought to Jesus as the woman was. So they, they say, uh, so what do you say? Well, they want to trap him, right? Because if he says, yeah, the law says that, and they stone uh, the woman, then they will. Then the 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 Pharisees that are there, they will go tattletale to the Romans and say, "Hey, only Romans are allowed to put people to death, and you didn't authorize this, so you need to uh, deal with this Jesus, right?" And if Jesus says, "Well, don't, uh, you know, don't stone the woman," then they're going to say, "Oh, so you're going against the very law that was given by by God through Moses." So they're just trying to trap him. And of course, uh, how does Jesus deal with it? He trips them up and he writes something on the ground with his finger. By the way, that's the only thing that Jesus ever wrote that is recorded, okay? So the, the New Testament books that we are studying right now, none of them were written before at the very earliest mid to late 40s AD for so you know years after Jesus uh, died so um, but anyway it's the only thing he ever wrote that is that is recorded and we don't know what he wrote because he just bent down and wrote on the ground with his finger and uh, so then he straightened up and said let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her now um, there's a a story about Mary, that Mary, his mother, was there. This isn't really true, but I thought it was kind of cute. So when he says, let, let the one among you who is without sin be the first to throw a stone at her, then Jesus turned his back and he heard this thwack. And he turned around and the, the adulterous woman was laying dead. 
And then he looked at his, his at Mary and he said, Ma, you take the fun out of everything. That didn't really happen, okay? So don't send me emails and letters and say that it's irre irreverent. Uh, Mary, we say, is is without sin as well. But uh, it's it's a joke, okay? So don't get too upset about it. Uh, it killed him in Dallas, by the way. So anyway, uh, again, he began to write on the ground. And in response, they went away one by one, beginning with the elders. So what did he write? Doesn't say what he wrote. Some theorize that he started writing down the sins of those who uh, brought this woman to him. And so the elders thought, ooh, let's get the heck out of here because we don't want to uh, have our sins exposed. And so they left. We don't know exactly what was written down. That's a nice thought. But they all left. Okay. So he's left alone with the woman before him. Now, do you think she might be a little scared? Jesus kind of has the power of life or death over her, doesn't he? Because if he says, yeah, you're right, go ahead and stone her, they would have stoned her, okay? And if he says, let her loose, they would have let her loose. So she's got to be at least highly nervous about this. But uh, Jesus says, uh, where, where are they? Has, has anyone condemned you? And she said, no, they, they haven't. And Jesus said, neither do I condemn you. And that's where a lot of not real strong believers would like to end that story, where Jesus says, no, I don't, I don't condemn you, right? In other words, I'm not going to have you dead right now, and you're not going to burn in hell right now, etc. But what does he say? Can't, you can't forget the rest of the verse. He says, go, and from now on, do not sin anymore. So, hey, um, it's not, okay, you're saved at this moment. No, you, you have to straighten out and fly right, as my mother used to say. Uh, you, you, you need to live a life that reflects uh, a conversion experience. You know, you're supposed to play well in the sandbox. So what does Jesus do here? You know, he's got this woman and he's got the people who, who bring the woman to him. Just remember this. You might even want to write this in your, in your margins. Jesus comforts the afflicted, and he afflicts the comfortable. Jesus comforts the afflicted, and he afflicts the comfortable. Okay. And that's, uh, that's what he does here. And that's what he does for us in our own lives, right? Sometimes we're, we're a little too proud. We're a little too haughty. Uh, we're pointing out everybody else's problems, and we, we don't uh, do a good self-examination of ourselves. And sometimes Jesus has to point out to us where we're failing, we're too prideful, etc. And then sometimes he needs to comfort us and say, okay, you screwed up. So go and sin no more, and, you know, I, I love you. So let's pause and reflect on that. Uh, as we go to the Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Dear Lord, we thank you that you are merciful. We thank you that you you love us just the way you we are, but we thank you also that you love us so much that you don't want us to stay that way, just as it was with this adulterous woman. He loved her, even though she committed a, a pretty pretty bad sin, but yet um, he, he showed her mercy 
And he also loved her too much to just say, go on and do whatever you want to do. He wanted her to uh, reform her life. So help us to be introspective and look at our own lives as we seek to go forth and uh, do your do your will. We ask this in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Okay, so in our next session, we're going to continue on in chapter 8. And we're going to see that Jesus calls himself God again and the, and the light of the world. And we'll put that in the framework of the historic event that he is going through. Um, in the meantime, or as always, I welcome you to email me your questions and comments at jhcatholicbible at gmail.com. And until next time, I look forward to your joining us again on Catholic Doctrine Bible Study. Thank you.